Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. That's good luck. Just oh, whenever. hang on. Just whenever. <laughs> uh, oh, look, it's, funnily enough, the last time I did it, it says Chelsea Fraggers and London is blue. So how about Live. that? Oh, it's, it's working too. Live. Live. Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. All right, Chelsea fans, well, in case you didn't notice, we have a very special podcast planned for a trip to London. So it's a little bit different, but obviously we had the opportunity to hang out with the Chelsea FanCast group. Uh, we want to take an opportunity to ask him some questions, not necessarily about a match or anything, but really some big picture things and get the, the season ticket holder's perspective on some things. So again, it's going to be an awesome podcast. Make sure you tune in to listen. Nick, um, I guess where were we at? We're at a really cool space for Chelsea fans. Hi team, I'm responsible for telling you about where we were, which was the Alice Pub, a wonderful pub, a pub that we've been to before, had many drinks at, 
I will describe now in detail the pump. Are you sure? Alright, well, then, then tell them what they can expect to hear, Dan. Yeah, so we ended up spending some time talking about the rivalry with Spurs, or actually if it even is a rivalry, and who might a rival be for Chelsea, which is a great conversation to have. Uh, Dan Silver, Jonathan Kidd, uh, Mark Worrell, and you know Sanford Trade with us, which was fantastic. Dan Levine makes an appearance as well. Guest spot. And then we had a really fantastic time talking about what the future of being a Chelsea fan and supporter is in the era of stadium redevelopment, what a move could potentially mean for the club and for fans as it stands today, the importance of the supporters' trust and the Chelsea pitch owners. So you are going to get a phenomenal episode. There's a ton of deep Chelsea culture in this conversation, and it's really super educational. It was a lot of fun to record, and the live audience we did in front of really enjoyed it as well. Final thing, just a major shout out to the fan cast and everyone who was present. This was uh, very special for us to record and I think really touches on a lot of issues that should hit home to all international fans. All right. Well, normally we do break up really long podcasts into two parts, but this one is so fantastic. We just left it as one big megapod. So if you have to come back and listen to it, but honestly, enjoy it. So here you go. All right. Well, welcome back, listeners, and uh, not just online listeners, thankfully, but we have an, a live audience wow. hanging out at the Atlas. Hey. Obviously, very excited for this. If you uh, haven't been aware, we are doing a live podcast in London with uh, our great friends, the Chelsea Fancast. So, Chidge and the team, welcome. Lovely. Always a pleasure to be here with you boys, to see you uh, over here again. And uh, apart from me, we've got Marco. Buonasera. Live. Jonathan. <laughs> Hello. And Dan. So, so there we go. We outnumber you. I like these odds. <laughs> That's right. And I guess we'll go around on our side as well. So Dan and then Nick joining us. Happy to be here next to Nick, who's enjoying some, some whiskey. He's the only one on the table Whoa. with anything other than beer. <clears throat> Step up your game. <laughs> Large whiskey. We'll see who goes down first. Uh, but anyways, uh, as always, um, we do have a couple of our friends from Patreon. I've completely blanked on on these for a couple weeks, so I'm going to do it here as a special way to try to cover my ass and, and make up for it. Um, but Brett L. Uh, asked for a shout-out for the Shed and Blues and San Diego Blues, in case anyone else is affiliated. Stay classy, San Diego. There you go. And then we're also going to have Nick shout this one out so from a few weeks ago we had a special shout out to nick l and his twin boys alexander sebastian so nick hmm. so we're doing a uh that this one, one. That, that yeah, yeah sorry i'm technically challenged here it's the whiskey i missed having nick shout out a patreon friend uh so please give a special shout out from nick l to his twin boys alex alexander and sebastian so that's it. Difficult to say when I'm in So again, he's saying that he listens with his, his twin boys. We are pumped to have you guys there. So this will be a little bit different of a podcast, obviously, mainly because we don't have a match to review at this point. We are recording Saturday before the Spurs match. 
But Spurs victory. The victory over oh, Spurs, Spurs as yeah. well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so with that being said, we, we since we have um, some season ticket holders here and some well-versed fans, you know, being there, let's go ahead and jump into Chelsea versus the Spurs memories. Um, I guess I do apologize right before that, though. Uh, the Ray Wilkins news, so hard pivot. We we definitely wanted to throw that your guys' way uh, to maybe speak on him as, as a player and staff and from us just obviously giving thoughts and prayers and as much support as we can. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to go first on the Ray Wilkins thing because I, I was just amazingly privileged to uh, work with Ray back in 2006 on a whole load of shows I did uh, on the World Cup that year. Now, you know, I'm old enough to remember watching Ray play and he was without doubt my first Chelsea hero in that Eddie McCready era. Mm. Uh, the only decent player we had, if the truth were to be told, <laughs> which is probably why he ended up being bought by Man United. So to sit in a green room and, and watch uh, matches with Ray, uh, and I would get him a bottle of his favorite Montepulciano wine, and we would sit there watching World Cup matches, drinking wine, and, and I'd just be talking the usual nonsense that, I, that you all know and love me for, I suppose. <laughs> and yet, Ray had the had the common decency to say, "Well, David, yeah, you clearly know football, mate. You clearly know your football." I mean, he probably thought I was talking absolute shit, but he was he was just such a nice guy. And and I, and it's, you know, watching matches with your hero it just doesn't get better than that. But there's one particular thing I remember very vividly, you know, because it was a studio show. So you know, I was in the gallery directing it, and you had the presenter and Ray and a few other people, and then all the camera crew on, on Ray's last show. Uh, the presenter made a point of it being the, his last show with us, and the entire studio crew about 20 people in the studio they all stood up and applauded him and and he and he was so humble he was he, he clearly looked embarrassed by it but even the crew loved him I mean so apart from the great football memories and he was a superb football player I mean be under no illusion he really really was he was he's such a lovely human being and and that's you know something I'd wanted to share with you today but these guys can probably you can probably tell them about the the battle of White Hart Lane the kung fu fighting can't you well well, yeah, I mean, uh, in, interestingly enough, that I think that was Ray's first game as Chelsea captain. Yeah, and he was, yeah, he was 18. And uh, Eddie decided that um, Ray was going to captain the team. It didn't go down that well um, with, with quite a few people. Um, and I think he kind of battled with that. Um, you know, it's, it's quite well known that he struggled with depression uh, through, throughout his career, both as a player and... Um, you know, later on as a coach, um, I, I think you know, as a player, uh, you know, he had, he had a big career away from Stamford Bridge as well. Um, and I, I think for me, kind of, sort of more recently, his his sort of involvement with Chelsea, particularly um, at the time that we won the double with with Carlo. Uh, you know, uh, that for me kind of, I don't know, it's, it seems to get bypassed in uh, in a lot of chatter. That whole double winning season and then sort of Ray leaving midway through the, the, the campaign that followed under a, a cloud, all, all of that was awful. And you can kind of understand, you know, where he ended up in a really dark place. And, you know, for me, I mean, obviously it's awful what's happened. And, you know, his thoughts are just, you know, with, 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 with Ray and I hope he break comes through it and with his family at the moment. 
Yeah, I'd just like to echo those sentiments. I mean, I'm, I just remember him being uh, a class apart from everybody. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of derision about him being skipper at the time. Um, and he, he, he did that wonderful thing that uh, Hullet used to do, which was to um, uh, look for players and, and um, work out where they were going to be and play the ball into space and their player wouldn't have made the run. And you just kept thinking, is it him or the team around him? And obviously he was, he was a class act, but he was wasn't surrounded by the best players in that era, um, but now I've I've uh, I've managed to erase that period of Chelsea from my mind. Actually. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't a surprise when he then got transferred and uh, and revealed his his brilliance at uh, various other sides. But uh, if, if he'd been surrounded by better players with uh, um, and the club had some money at the time, I think we'd have kept him and seen his 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 great creative. I remember at the time he was a um, people used to say yeah but he keeps passing the ball sideways all the time but that was kind of sort of the mentality was you've got to get the ball forward you know you've got to get it up there um, but no and, and I think one has to take it into consideration the, 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 the period with Carlo when I think the, the season fell apart when he left the club um, uh, after the whatever happened the rumours were the row that he'd had with, uh, with a member of the board um, which appears to echo what's going on now slightly roused with the board um, but yeah no we, we obviously wish him well um, uh, yeah great uh, a great legend of the club absolutely so you want to have a go mate yeah. I never actually saw Ray play but both my grandpa and my father absolutely loved him and you know if you ask them to put together the all time Chelsea 11 Ray Wilkins would be a shoe in because they said he was just a joy to watch all right, well, thank you again, uh, just for a perspective that most of us on our side uh, don't have, but uh, let's go ahead and get back to the Chelsea Spurs memories that a lot of you guys have. So, you know, Sunday's match at the bridge, it's a big one, obviously in the top four <laughs> battle, but there's a lot more context, and I think history to it. Uh, Marco just wrote a piece on it and kind of maybe a defining moment for Antonio Conte. So, I mean, this streak goes back to the bridge dating to 1990, as, as Nick put in here, here in our script three years after he was born so <laughs> to give you context on how old he is and how long this uh this win streak has gone on so um i guess i've got socks older than you nick <laughs> <laughs> uh that is why he's the pod father yes not the pod brother pod grandfather i think it is <laughs> So I guess just passing around on your guys' side, can you recount your best memories of Chelsea demoralizing Tottenham at the bridge? Um, I've, I've got, well, a couple of things. I mean, the, the, the whole Chelsea-Tottenham thing is quite interesting um, for me because I kind of, if you look at uh, Chelsea, modern Chelsea, and you trace the success back, it actually goes back to a Tottenham legend, Glenn Hoddle, uh, being appointed uh, player manager by Ken Bates and um, you know what what kind of followed there um, was quite interesting because 
Um, if you go back to sort of the enmity, if you want to call it that, that you can kind of trace back to the 67, the Cockney Cup final that, that Chelsea lost to one. <laughs> and then um, the, the, there was the, the, the Battle of the Lane in 75 when effectively we, we lost 2 0 and were consigned to um, Division 2 not long after that. And then there was a quarterfinal tie in the, the FA Cup. Um, I think it was 82. We lost 3-2 and Hoddle scored. And uh, Tottenham went on to win the Cup that year and they'd won it the year before and the year after that they won the UEFA Cup. So you can imagine at that time the, 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 the envy from, uh, from people like me as supporters of, of my generation that, that, that was felt towards the club. And it was quite interesting then, obviously, when, when Hoddle came in, he brought in uh, Rude Hullet. So getting back to the points about the, 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 the two games, um, for me, the, the, the first one that stands out uh, was um, Hoddle left to become the England manager, but he brought in Rude Hullet. Um, and when Hoddle left, uh, Rude became the um, the player manager, and and indeed the, the the first game that he actually started that season was against Tottenham, and and this was uh, three days after Matthew Harding sadly uh, lost his life, um, and it, it was quite a remarkable occasion, um, given given you know the, the the enmity between the two sets of supporters that, that you know is, is, is well publicized um, you know that, that that game was um, this was before the minutes applause there was actually a minute silence and you know I, thinking back to it now I mean I haven't got any hairs on my on the back of my neck anymore but um, they, they really did stand on end and um, you know uh, it was it was it was a wonderful occasion because everybody just recognized Matthew as, as a footballing guy the minute silence was perfectly um, observed and then you know and Chelsea won 3-1 you know Rude scored the the opening goal Um, I think David Lee scored uh, from the penalty spot and then I think he broke his leg later in that game I'm not sure Um, yeah yeah and then uh, Robbie 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 Di Matteo um, who was in the team along with Viali and both those players were brought in by Rude Hullet so you can kind of see that all of this stems from a Tottenham guy uh, coming coming into the club and all of that for me it was kind of the catalyst for modern Chelsea I really don't think with without without Hoddle and what the way the club progressed we, we may never have um, got to the point where Abramovich bought the club mm-hmm. um, and you know the, the, the modern Chelsea that, that, that we know today so that that particular game is one that stands out but the one the one that I think really killed it for me in, in terms of you know killing Tottenham off and, and it brings mirth <laughs> when I think about it now was uh, it was a, an FA Cup quarterfinal tie uh, I think it was not 2007 um, and I, I don't know if you remember you probably all remember this one this was the one where Spurs went 3-1 up at half time and um, it, it was like oh you know th- th- this was awful it's not going to happen and then I think Frank scored and uh, Salomon Kalou remember him yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. So yeah, exactly. So that, that they were a couple of late goals from uh, Frank and Kalu uh, late in that game, and obviously we won the replay. And we went on to win the FA Cup, and uh, you know I, I think looking at that from a Tottenham supporters perspective you know and that was it that was in they couldn't beat us at home then you know it wasn't just a, a home thing it was an away thing as well so for me those two games you know kind of summarize you know the the, the, the swinging pendulum of fortune you know which has pretty much gone our way since then but you know the, there was a lot of history behind it so yeah that, that's um, you know, and then obviously there was the there was the two two uh, a couple of years ago, but uh, those those two games for me sum it up. I don't know, they've all seemed to merge into one game for me. I find the whole Spurs stuff, I don't particularly remember one as being particularly important. Part, partly the reason that I don't have the same hatred for Spurs because I'm uh, much older than everybody here. I, I'm, I'm a Leeds hater because that's, uh, that's the, uh, the tradition from uh, the 70s and the 60s, 60s and 70s. So uh, um, I just inevitably watch us beat them and go, well, yeah, absolutely, of course we're going to beat them every time. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't have ever doubt it. I it's, it's how uh, you set your uh, your clock and your watch, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll be what it's been twenty eight years. It'll carry on. It'll will win again tomorrow, or it'll be a draw. I just. Uh, uh, it's a very significant game for them tomorrow, um, uh, and the press are particularly saying that it's uh, it's going to mean that they've uh, they've somehow achieved something that we that we haven't. They will. They get. Yeah, they'll get their own. There'll be a DVD and a and a and, and a badge. Actually, won't be there. a special on iTunes they'll, they'll you can download that. for uh, £4.90 but yeah and uh, I suppose to an extent if they did happen to win I wouldn't then be worried about it I, I, I'd like them to lose because I think they'd implode actually for the rest of the season I think we then it'll be a, we don't need to win every single game um, to, the, to then get into Europe which I think is hugely important for us this year as, uh, as well as winning the FA Cup um, but yeah I think then we might be playing United in the final um, uh, I don't think we're going to lose to Southampton but um, no, I'm sorry not to be a, a great knowledge of Spurs games I have to say I think I've seen every single one of those at home um, on that list yeah. yeah yeah and yet there's a kind of sort of you know okay what will well, what will, will happen you, if you remember them and you weren't there yeah that, I think that's, per, that's perfectly expressed yeah yeah I'm just a bit worried about my mental state if I can't remember any of them but it's so regular you don't have to remember it, it was, for them everyone is an extra scar that's in just the, true uh, the yes, that's what it would be it would be scar just accept or perhaps that's in fact what it is is I don't want to remember because uh, I might be scarred if I did remember that uh, we were possibly going to lose or my mental state when I went into the game I do do a lot of hiding uh, as I used to when I was little <laughs> if we go a goal down I really do I'm, not that I leave I don't go to the to the toilet or anything I just hide behind the parapet and just Isn't don't concentrate on it yeah, yeah for me to lie down on yeah exactly yeah yeah to hide but oh yeah I hadn't thought of that yeah yeah, yeah well, or is somebody trying to is my manservant attempting to asphyx asphyxiate me at the time yes. Um, yes so I'm not a great source of information for them but the weird thing is of course if you watched it on television I'd go oh I know what happens now I know what happens next I find myself watching those reruns and you go oh I remember this oh yeah then the ball goes yeah and then Lampard scores yeah but at, uh, to think about it now is just um, you know whatever happens will happen you know as I say Leeds are the main 
am I, I know, and that's why I'm very pleased that they don't appear ever in the Premier League because uh, <laughs> uh, there'd be too much hatred no, involved. No, so. no, contraire. I mean, you know, you want to speak. Sorry, I'll give it to Dan. So I just want to mention one thing about our particular particular guy. No, we need Leeds back in the Premier League because be- exactly because they're a proper rivalry. No, I want them to stay. No. You, I to I, sometimes just, I, I, I worry about you. You need we need we need you know you know you know what you know what Pol Pot did? We need to send you to re education a re education camp, you know, how to support Chelsea properly, mate, you know. Um I just wanted to I was reminded actually when you were talking about about the Spurs games that you remember. My, one of my fondest and I didn't realise this. We were talking about it on the radio show last night, but I, I loved that match when Gallus scored the last-minute winner, a man whose name we are not allowed to mention anymore. But uh, the bottom line is, I had been, I had gone out that night, and I had gone on one of the biggest benders I think I've ever. I didn't get any sleep, and I, I turned up to the pub to meet Martin, Doctor Mart, if any of you remember him, and he took one look at me and he just laughed. <laughs> And as he as he bought me a pint that just about restored me to a semblance of humanity, and I and I and I and I mean you know this is the Spurs match you know that's the match where you get up you're chanting you're going absolutely nuts for ninety minutes and I wasn't capable of it I just sat there thinking I think I'm going to die I think I'm going to die I think I'm going to die until Gallus cut in from the left and and I and where I sit in Gate 17 I had a bird's eye view of that and I saw it all the way in. And I just went absolutely leaping. I jumped up so high, I nearly fell four rows in front of me. So uh, he nearly killed me doing it, but hey, it was worth it. But of course, the thing I forgot, we were talking about last night, that was the match after Peter Osgood died. And they'd had the, um, you know, the, the, all the uh, old players from the 60s and 70s came on with the flower arrangement. And weirdly, I'd f- completely disassociated that. And we were talking about the fact that Tottenham fans are actually really quite respectful of that, weren't they, as they were with Matthew Harding. Yeah. I mean, I gave match what Marco was saying about the FA Cup defeat in the early 80s. We'd just beaten the all-conquering Liverpool side 2-0 in the previous round. which was one of my very first Chelsea games. So I was so excited to see Spurs. And then as a, a nine-year-old, absolutely deflated, walking away, losing 3-2. Um, remember, Lineker getting a last-minute winner when they last beat us. So that shows how long ago it was. But I think the game that sticks out we just lost I think a semi-final to Spurs 5-1 at White Hart Lane in the League Cup and then we played them at home in the league and we won 4-0 and Jimmy Froe passed about and scored a perfect hat-trick left foot right foot header absolutely dominated and I think the next weekend we went to White Hart Lane and won 4-0 in the FA Cup so that was a brilliant memory they had t-shirts at the stall I think do you remember that with the Chelsea's 4x4x4 four by four by four or something yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was brilliant I mean to be honest most, I actually worked out really sadly on the train I've been alive 70% of my life since Spurs last beat us so that's kind of shit <laughs> <laughs> but no so it's almost like a given you're going to play Spurs at home you're going to win you know even with their you know you know the 2-1 under Mourinho last I mean last Spurs were in the league that year when Hazard scored I mean I haven't heard Stanford Bridge that loud for a very long time when that ball hit the net that was just absolutely brilliant because it came from nowhere so yeah lots of lots of happy memories and hope it continues tomorrow yeah so, so thinking about that then as a kind of a follow-up question is like the importance of the unbeaten streak against them. Yeah. You know, would I mean, you be concerned? 
Like, yeah, how important is that? This, this is probably the best Spurs team I've seen in my lifetime. And that, I'm going to wash. I'm going to. Well, You're younger than us. Yeah, 10 years younger, maybe. It doesn't look it. That I mean, 80s team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, we had, we, listen, we had to lose a while hot lane at one point, and we did when, you know, when McLean scored a worldie, you still lose. You know, it's not going to be your yeah. kind of game. Um, it's just 28 years, it has to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Does it have not, to, though? No, Does it really? It's the law. It's the law. It's. I've got a lot of Spurs friends and I come off Facebook just to save some abuse. <laughs> but uh, listen, I think we'll draw tomorrow. I think, you know, we can't afford to lose. Spurs can't afford to lose. I think it'll be a draw. I think we'll set up not to lose a game. Um, I think it'll be a draw. That's my personal opinion. This but, this does kind of lead us into a greater discussion about like current rivalries though, right? And whether or not, and I think it's it goes by era probably as who, you know, Jonathan obviously mentioned Leeds earlier. Who, who would you consider to be Chelsea's top rival at this point and is it Spurs? I, well, we had a bit of a row didn't we? We had a bit of a lover's tiff last night about this. <laughs> we did. <laughs> On the radio. Don't you remember? I mean I know Marco and I have been in the pub before which yeah. perhaps means we don't remember but because I've got quite a strong feeling on this actually I mean clearly Spurs are our traditional kind of local rivals but if you go and ask most Spurs fans who their biggest rivals are they will not say Chelsea they will say Arsenal and they would be right and I and I've long felt felt that in a sense we kind of suffer a bit by the fact that we don't like have a Spurs Arsenal rivalry or a West Ham Millwall or I mean even you know United and and Liverpool I mean I know they're geographically right. they're, they're yeah. a, a way away but you know that's a huge rivalry there Fulham we, we can't hate Fulham <laughs> how can you bloody I well hate Fulham I, hate us. I know but we can't hate Fulham Brentford you can't hate QPR are just laughable yeah. Kelvin hates Kelvin hates yeah but he grew up there <laughs> yeah. you know so but I really generally think we suffer from that and then on the other side of the coin I do actually think that you know football has changed somewhat and, and our, our rivalries now sadly in my opinion are not dictated by the fact that they're your neighbours down the road which is where it used to stem from and it, it's now built around you know who you're competing against and I, I think in more recent years it's been Arsenal it's been Man United Liverpool of course with all the European right, stuff right, right. but even more bizarrely I mean you know for me the best match this season was the home leg against Barcelona and the reason for that was not just because it was a very big match and important everybody in that stadium was well up for it and the, I mean you know I was sitting up near Tim Rolls I don't know if anybody knows Tim but yeah. yeah yeah if you sit near Tim it's like the geriatrics wing of the, of the <laughs> Chelsea headhunters you know I hit well <laughs> I, I, we, we couldn't possibly say that about Tim but uh, his monkey nuts is another issue but they're, they're, they're quite docile you know they're not the kind of people that are going to get up and flick the V's and go absolutely me- everybody in the ground I mean particularly with all the diving that Barcelona do oh, yeah. so there's real enmity I think now between Chelsea and Barcelona and that's how it's going having said that I still I still, you know I kind of uh, I think it's sad in a way that we don't really have uh, a, a very bitter enmity with a local rival but these guys Will, will now tell you why I'm wrong. Well, we're, we're more of a bully to the other teams too. Yeah. You know, they're the one that they look up to and they're the one they want to get back at years after, you know, versus... Yeah. I, I when, when I was a kid, it's, it's, it's funny how, I don't know, the psychology of football gets to you. I mean, when, when I was an innocent sort of kid running around in short trousers and, you know, the, the TV was sports night with Coleman and match of the day and that was it. You know, and I, I used to get... 
magazines you know you kind of looked at those kind of things and the biggest club and the biggest game still for me is when Manchester United were the biggest club they won the European Cup when I was seven years old you know that that was huge and and they played in blue that day um, but you know and I loved George Best I thought that was a great football team um, and then you know when Chelsea played Manchester United that was always the big game and then I, I thought it was great you know from a personal point of view that um, you know the, the start of the Abramovich era you know United were the team to beat Arsenal had kind of had that rivalry with United for, for 10 years um, but Chelsea kind of broke up that axis and then it was United and Chelsea so for me the biggest game still the one that you know I, look, I always look forward to just from a, a rivalry point of view rather than you know that, that the hatred word um, you know rivalry Manchester United dislike Liverpool and Tottenham um, Leeds Leeds well I'm kind of I don't know I'm kind of in the um, JK camp on that I mean I, it's so long since Leeds actually you know I mean I, I was at Stamford Bridge when they smashed the scoreboard up um, you know and you thought Leeds you know and I, and I went and, 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 I, and, I, and, and one, one of the most amusing uh, recent away trips so it wasn't that recent um, when we went up to, to Ellen Road um, the League, League Cup tie you know 5-1 even Torres scored that was the charm that night it was fabulous you know and, and, and such was the the, the, the fear that the, the, the police had we travelled up on the club train and we were we were um, kettled I think is the, the constabulary word for it they, they, they took us off the train at Wakefield and bust us to the ground the buses immediately sort of from here to where Dan is sat over there that that was it <laughs> into the ground watch the game one obviously back to the bus kept back on the train we yeah. Out, uh, yeah that was the limoncello train wasn't it <laughs> yeah, uh, every, every train's a limoncello okay. train that's the one I seem to where, where is this famous limoncello that you were well you know because I am absent minded last night we were talking <laughs> about bringing lemon, limoncello today and obviously forgot so I don't know if have you got limoncello behind the bar there no no, no. do you mind if we go and buy some <laughs> yeah probably so yeah I don't, I don't, for me rivals being I mean growing up Liverpool were you know the best team and I hated them um, and it was Arsenal and when you know, Michael Thomas got that winning goal I was like furious because it's like you know Arsenal Liverpool don't want to be shot or stabbed that's kind of what it's like I think I think now for me it's a very kind of personal thing I hate Arsenal hate Tottenham hate Liverpool the rest meh, hate don't really everyone. I hate everyone yeah I'm angry young man <laughs> I hate Spurs because they've got this whole kind of you know I think they, they deserve it because you know they put us under pressure well done watch the DVD Arsenal I just hate because a lot of my family are Arsenal and Liverpool because uh, Liverpool basically yeah because they're the Scousers <laughs> that's, that's it so have you noticed that most of these teams top. play in red have you noticed yeah I, I don't own any red clothes by the way I mean that's that's another thing I'm like, okay alright don't worry it's like it's like, make sure you it's get like a bottle of okay. milk for you isn't it I know it was a bypass I was so quick you didn't even notice if you took your glasses off you'd be able to see me do it I have Stevie Wonder you are aren't you <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, this is what I mean. You know, this is what the radio show is like, but slightly more mad. Walking sticks. Um, I think the look. There is another thing. I mean, I know I, I focus quite heavily on the on the on the local rivalry, and, and in a sense, I think that's important because you know, ultimately, football in this country grew up out of the communities, um, and I mean, you know, got a lot of Americans here today, and I remember a, a, yeah, they're over there, John. If you took your glasses off, you'd be able to see them. But I, I remember a very good American friend of mine came over, and I mean, you know, to be fair, Michael's been coming to watch Chelsea since the '80s, so it wasn't like something new. But we'd been to the pub before the match, and we wandered down Fulham Road, and he just stopped. He just wanted to take it all in, and the first thing he said was, "He said, it's just, he says, he says, I never get over this that Chelsea Football Club. It's in the middle of all of these houses. He said, it just doesn't happen in America. It's out out of town. So they grew up in the community. So that's why I focused on the on the tribal kind of local rivalries. But of course, you know, if we're talking about club rivalries, it has a, a lot to do with all sorts of other things. I mean, even I mean, you know, the North versus the South. They speak differently from us. They dress differently. They have a different attitude and culture. And you know." when you're kind of in a pseudo kind of George Orwellian war about football which we often have that mentality you will pick on the differences mm -hmm. and clearly if you're playing a team from the north there are going to be differences but even down to Tottenham I mean you know it's North London South London in a sense they all wear white Lonsdale tra trainers I'm just checking to make sure nobody has but uh, <laughs> they all wear w white Lonsdale trainers we don't do that so it's those kind of differences so you know it, 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 it's a cultural thing as well music comes into it as well I mean it's there are so many areas where you can find these points of difference and go that's why I'm not like you and that's why I don't like you and it kind of mixes into football it's called culture it's called pop culture Jonathan it was invented after you uh, you know yeah it's a bit bit too you for you mate yeah, no, but I, I, this whole rivalry with Spurs I think it's almost if you, it was necessary you needed to find somebody well, you for know us to about hate. this because you were there when it began I we was. established this last night in the yeah. 60s yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I'm, I'm um, in the Leeds thing is much more important to me because they were absolutely filthy, kicked everybody off the park, and everybody hated them. So you could see why that was a focus. But I always thought we were we were too nice. There wasn't a rival. We just we got on with everybody. We we'd go and watch Fulham during the week. We'd uh, if Chelsea were away, we might not go and watch the away game if it was uh, too far away. We'd go and watch Queens Park Rangers, and that was that was an accepted part of it. We weren't. There wasn't actually a specific rival that we had they were it wasn't the same as the uh, the Arsenal Spurs rivalry which obvious because they were North London um, but uh, I felt the Spurs rivalry was was invented and I still and I think it's got out of hand now and all this the singing of we hate Tottenham in the middle of the liquidators is completely absurd nearly all the songs have a Spurs reference <laughs> yeah. and uh, and I, I can't bear it it's not you know I'm afraid I'm, I'm from an era as we've established blue already is the blue is the colour we hate Tottenham <laughs> <laughs> in fact, John, Jonathan actually performed in most of the musical songs, of which many of the chants are derived. No, back no, 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 no. It goes, it goes back further than that, Chid. 1905. I, I was singing, I was singing um, about uh, a song about um, uh, getting getting the ball 
in the net, I remember, and uh, we're the ones to set them alight. Set them alight. Funny enough, I queried you about that. Remember that song, um, uh, uh, Marco? Because Marco uh, obviously had the book about the charts, and there really was a song I remember singing when I was little. Was we're the ones to set them alight, set them alight, Chet LC. And I was trying to find out what the song was. Is that why they banned flares? And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never wore them actually. No. Oh, oh, very, very quickly. And I did actually. I had a, good, I had a huge pair of French flares that went all I've the way, the all the way up your bum. I saw you the with, with long hair and those big, yeah, Bay City man. Rollers uh, um, boots that I wore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they were they were huge double um, uh, wedges that you just you know you could hide the shoe in the trouser. It was so enormous. And uh, but everybody wore. There's some fantastic pictures. Everybody wore those, even to the football. They're these huge, and you you think, oh, I'm going to be quite big because I'm five foot six, and I was about five foot ten wearing these, and I thought, oh, I'm great. Job. Everybody else is wearing them. They'd all be six foot four next to you. Um, I digressing slightly madly. Um, I digress. I digress hugely. But no. So I honestly think this is uh, the Spurs thing. Is like a. It's it's been necessary. For who can we find? Who can we find to create as a rival? Whereas the the team of the of uh, the modern team we should be hating is Liverpool, who constantly have all this. You ain't got no history business and rent boys and everything. And we don't seem to have given them the the oh, hate the do. hatred. We no, but not in our songs. They got banned. That's right. They're not allowed to sing them anymore. But they're allowed to call us rent boys. They are. I don't get that. I don't get that. You know, sort quickly. I'm sorry, Dan. Because it's quite. I mean, there's a very famous song that we love to sing. It's a proper pub song, actually. I know. I'm not going to say anything naughty, but it's the one that's about in your Liverpool slums. If you've ever heard it, I was watching a fantastic documentary on ITV4 the other night about when it was all about the European Cup triumphs of the English sides in the 70s and 80s and it was, it was a wonderful documentary and they had this brilliant bit of archive film taken from a pub uh, you know just around the gra- you know near near uh, near Anfield and they were all singing that song but they were singing the real version in my Liverpool home I didn't even know there was a ver- I, always, I always thought it was our version no no it was all it was it was in our Liverpool homes and I, th- and I was like you're singing it wrong mate no 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 <laughs> Just to throw a little, uh, was it? Nice uh, digresses slightly. We've been going on many paths on this show. Yeah, no, I, I, just thinking of that song um, in, in your Liverpool slums reminded me we were talking about the Monaco game. And I remember being in Monaco, going to Monaco, um, and we were singing. In, in your Monaco slums, you, you, root in the, you root in your dustbins for something to eat, you find a dead lobster, <laughs> it's a treat. <laughs> Which, you know, is kind of proper Chelsea, really. It's a delicacy. Yeah. <laughs> we got a question. Do you want to, somebody's on Mixler's uh, asked you boys a question. Yes, yeah, like uh, Bonnie Riggs Blues is kind of asking about who the greatest rivals to Chelsea um, are maybe now or currently back home. Asking our opinion. Opinion, no, okay. Americans, oh, okay. from an American standpoint. I, I think I think there's a little like thuggery starting with Manchester City. LA I think Dallas. I think those games have been a little uh, a little testy, and I don't think it's a, a maybe a full fledged rivalry, but I think there's a start of something that's going to brew into what could be a, a longer term rivalry. I just hate Arsenal so much. <laughs> I do. I had a former roommate who was an Arsenal fan, and I actually sat. It was 6 a.m. in uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was like zero degrees out. Watched the six nil with him. 
and he he didn't speak for the first like I mean, dude talks all the time still has not yeps yeah no and I just sat there laughing the entire time because it was it was the culmination of all of this like ridiculous stuff that had been going on that season and you know Sherla scores so quickly and then you know the parade goes on that was the uh, mistaken Gibbs uh, handball game with Oxlade Chamberlain oh my god so from that point on and with all the shit that he was talking to me at the point about beautiful football and how Chelsea were anti-football like it just I was like 6-0 man like come on uh, so I hate him and you not be pity for no, no, no. no you can't have pity no I, hate. hate hate it's a strong, it's a strong term yeah yeah, they, yeah. Uh, because there's a perception that they they invented the game and and we're just merely playing it uh, and that's just not the case well I mean, it's almost with you know to my mind like Arsenal and Spurs it's like if you're the you know the oldest child and you have two younger siblings who are kind of following your footsteps and maybe less accomplished you know they're always trying to either play up to where your standard is at or you, know, you look down and I'm like yeah you're, you're not going to do as much as me so like the, you know, you see, there is a level of maybe pity in that mind but it's because they're going to fail to the expectation I think that you know cold light of day ultimately you're judged on on Trepes' success and you know look at Chelsea probably the last 20 years I think second to Man United in terms of trophies Spurs last league in was 1961 were you born? yeah yeah so it's you know I think fans in the UK are very tribal you know you're very passionate about your team and I think that's what it boils down to. It's we're as far as closer to each other, though, aren't we? But just generally, but yeah, but generally, I think you know you're very trouble for me. It's Chelsea, and the rest can fuck off, basically. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about Chelsea. The rest yeah. are just you know, you're full of Chelsea. Yeah, are just Roblox. But I, yeah, yeah. Arsenal, Arsenal, yeah, Arsenal, Liverpool for me, just ooh, hate them. So hate them. it's he, irrational because like you know, in your normal life, I could probably count what, on one hand people I actually humans I've actually hated in my life, and it's football does funny things yeah, to you. This table to <laughs> I, I, I just thought it was interesting you mentioned Man City there because I think Man City are the, the lesser of all the evils. You know, Pep Guardiola's built a brilliant side there. Yeah, he's had loads of cash, whatever. What's good about Manchester City and what it highlights to me is you know, Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea in 2003. He had a head start of five years on Mansoor at Man City. And, and yet, what Mansoor's done there in terms of the backroom team, you know, the whole director of football thing, the whole infrastructure, they've leapfrogged Chelsea. And, you know, that they will be the team to beat. But for me, that that's okay. Because when I was growing up, City were kind of, they were like the, the Chelsea of the North. <laughs> So there, there, there was kind of apart from they, you know, they won the league, but there was, you know we, they won, we won the cup, they won the cup, we won the cup, winners cup. You know it was kind of like tit for tat, and then you know they they fell through the trap door, they went through all the pain, worse than Chelsea did, and they're back. Um, you know, and, and trust me, if Chelsea don't win the league, I'd rather City win it every every season than any one of Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, um, Spurs, not that that or, or Spurs. <laughs> Yeah. You've got to respect they're playing fantastic football as well. Sure. So, you know. so you know, I guess like from an American standpoint, it's it's a little less tribal, right? Because we all have 
our own reasons for liking the team we do obviously Chelsea for us but you also have that with other people in our community so the only two teams that were showed in the beginning in the US were Man United and Liverpool so the majority of fans in the unit in the US are United and Liverpool fans so then Arsenal kind of came and Spurs they've always been behind like the little brother trying to hang out but they were never cool enough to not enough people so for me will be Cool. Well, yeah, exactly. And then for me personally, my younger brother was a United fan, so that like killed it. For me, I was always like, I United is the match I want to see, and I want to see Chelsea win. You said that in the past tense. Did he change? Well, no. I just think his passion has, has waned off a little bit. Not mine; it's gone the other way. But you know, for us, it's just—I it's, guess—it's just a little bit different. You know, who around you and your group of friends is that obnoxious fan of another team, and that's kind of what we have to go by which is uh, it's just a little bit different it's usually the person with the Harry Kane kit uh, freshly minted this season uh, singing War of Our Own with a C kind of thing like Adrian yeah <laughs> Um, so they, you know, again, I mean, actually, these guys are probably far better qualified to talk about it than me because you all grew up in London, didn't you? Yeah, you're, you're all Londoners. I, I grew up in Hampshire. You know, get off my land. Get off my land. Yeah, we, 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 we were more interested in the tribal rivalry between the farms and the peasants and stuff. And, but no, the, I think the issue is this is particular. I think it's peculiar to London as well, where there are so many clubs. You know, in and around the first division most of the time, Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, West Ham. So you would go to school. I mean, this is what I'm told by my London mates. You would go to school. And if you, you lost to any of those, you would be getting it for weeks at school. So I think a lot of the rivalry comes from that. So I'm kind of teeing it up for you guys here. Do me some justice and, and agree with me. <laughs> when I was growing up, we were sort of yo-yoing between the second and the first division. So I didn't really have any, you know, proper rivalries. And, you know, the occasional win against Liverpool followed by relegation it was kind of a lot of up and down and just digressing slightly we had this thing called panini stickers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I stick oh, yeah. up and yeah. as a kid yeah. I absolutely loved it but Chelsea were always in Division 2 and you only got a shitty little badge and a shitty team <laughs> picture you never got individual players in the first year that we um, got promoted I ordered every single Chelsea player from the order book I had on my bedroom wall and it was like as an 11 year old me I was like got the players <laughs> it was fantastic like got 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 swap sell yeah like Colin, Colin Pace John Bumstead all sort of you know illuminaries of Chelsea but you know I grew up in London I mean at my school um, it was Liverpool West Ham and you know you know perhaps you know people coming from overseas perhaps out of the history a lot of them picked Liverpool because that was Liverpool were the best team so a lot of my classmates were Liverpool fans Arsenal West Ham Tottenham so it's a real kind of mix but as Chelsea were never really there it's always kind of like you know oh we got we got Bolton we got Grimsby really exciting sure Either of you guys want to touch on that? I'm afraid I, I, I went to a rugby playing school and we were all too posh to care about football. <laughs> Sorry, I was the yeah, I was the only one who, who followed football. So, well, uh, Martin, and Dr. Uh, Martin. No, he didn't really. He's been lying to you all these years. <laughs> he said that you were his fag. He was a no, fag. The other way round. Was it? No, he was my fag. He was your fag. I'm, I'm much older than him. Yeah, yeah. Was he your bitch? Yeah. He, no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> 
Um, well, let's go ahead and, and transition this a little bit off Spurs. I know we could probably talk right. about them all night, but, you know, let's, we could save time doing more important things. So a lot of the talk pretty much since Roman's been here is that Chelsea have been a continual club in crisis. And sure enough, here we are again. Uh, haven't won the trouble. We're a club in crisis. So um, if Chelsea don't completely dominate the league and we have these really high standards, you know, of making a deep run in the Champions League and, you know, winning all this silverware, like, are Chelsea struggling to, I guess, what's the atmosphere around the club in that sense from fans that are going all the time, and, and what do you make of it? Because a lot of what we get fed is what the media tell us, what we read. We we always miss out what the heart and blood of the fans in and around the grounds are saying. But that is what's being projected, at least to us. I'm, I, for me, I'm living the dream because I had 15 years of torture of you know relegations <laughs> losing at home to Oxford losing away to Scunthorpe and Scarborough in the cup so quite frankly really even pro pre Abramovich came back to sort of 97 when we won the FA Cup we've had 20 years of unbelievable success and quite frankly if, if you know the world ended tomorrow or whatever we've had 20 years of you know five titles I mean Chelsea winning Champions League if I said that you know 15 years ago people laughed at me so quite quite frankly as a 33 year veteran a lot it and if we do anything and again I deal with it because I support Chelsea you know through thick and thin you know the media like to make stories because it's fun it sells papers or it's clicks but as far as I'm concerned it's brilliant and I love it and, you know kind of maybe else I don't know I, th I think it's kind of it's that whole because we're local we get to go to the games we see our mates that that whole thing I mean you know my, my the, the first game I went to I, I had to cajole I didn't I wasn't brought up in a football family the first game I went to I got taken to my by my dad um, we lost 2-0 at home to Carlisle United I sat in the east stand the first time it was open that was that was my introduction to Chelsea and you know that whole where, where were you when we were shit or when you were shit that was my baptism right at, <laughs> right, at right at the start of, of a slide into obscurity so a bit a bit like um, sort of Dan saying there um, to go from that to this wonderful fluffy world of um, silverware um, is fantastic um, do I want to go back to would it hurt if we went slid back into mediocrity or you know, or, uh, yeah, yeah, it would, and I think I think maybe there's a danger, and I and I hate to be ageist, but you know I, I do understand, you know, that, that our younger supporters who've seen nothing but success, um, there's a danger of kind of slipping into that Liverpool self entitlement mentality of, oh, you know, we have to do it, we expect this. I see this stuff on Twitter, um, and it, and it, it's quite interesting, you know, sack Conte, get the next guy in. Um, for me, as, as I highlighted earlier, I, I just, you know, I just think Roman has missed a trick. Um, you know, for a guy who's a multi-billionaire businessman to 
surround himself by non with non-football people. Yes, we've won lots of trophies, but we, you know, we were the first team to be turbocharged with cash. Let's not forget that. But I, I genuinely believe now, um, if you look at the development of, of our, you know, rivals in terms of the teams that can win the Premier League, um, from a stadium redevelopment point of view, they're ahead of the game. Um, that's going to be a huge hiatus for Chelsea, you know, when it comes, if it comes, how it manifests itself. Um, you know, this next appointment, assuming Conte leaves, is, is, is going to be fairly significant, I think. Um, who it is, I personally, I, I don't like the look of any of those guys. Um, you know, not even Tommy Tuckle. <laughs> no, no yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe if they brought the director of football from Dortmund with him, uh, maybe. I just don't know. I mean, and, and everything that's kind of that mentality that whoever comes in is a placeholder for the Frank Lampard, John Terry dream team um, <laughs> that, 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 that we'd all love to see, but we all secretly think, oh my God. God, yeah. you know, what if it all goes pear-shaped <laughs> in, in a, a Di Matteo kind of way and, you know, legacies get tarnished. You know, all of that, that huge unknown, I think for every Chelsea supporter out there now, the, 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 there's kind of... A, there's a there's a kind of a fear and a nervousness that that hasn't been there before because in the past it's been well Roman will get his checkbook out and that'll be all right that's the solution throw cash at it but but it's not going to work anymore you know and I think you know tomorrow Spurs will go all Spursy but you know they're, they're ahead of us in a, in a lot of ways um, and those kids that have bottled it every time they, they've they've played Chelsea you know there will come a there will come a day when they're men and they don't bottle it anymore um, you well, know, if, if you think if you think of the parallel um, you know uh, kind of when Mourinho came in you know how close we got under Ranieri for a few years and then suddenly Mourinho came in and we got a winning mentality we started to win stuff and we haven't looked back since and there is a danger that you know if Spurs do win something that that could happen well I, I can't see them going on to win what we want in that short space of time but <clears throat> you know once you once you know how to win you know you can keep doing it they might just fail and then they'll all be sold Start winning things. <laughs> there are, well, I, yeah, I think Jonathan's got a good point. They might get so. Kind of answering that question, actually, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I, I've always subscribed to this view that, you know, supporting Chelsea, following Chelsea is a great day out with your mates ruined by 90 minutes of football, <laughs> which is kind of a legacy of, you know, when we all started going, really. I mean, because actually, in, in, in the old days, I mean, I started going, I mean, you know, I, I, it, I've only really, on, on, to be honest with you, recently. 2003, isn't it? No, when did, when did, <laughs> when did, when did Abramovich t- buy the club? That's what I was yeah. No, and I, I mean, I, I was living outside of London, and basically, I'm congenitally, congenitally lazy, and I didn't grow up in a in a kind of a football or a Chelsea supporting family, so I was never really taken. So, um, when I moved to London in the '80s, I'd pop along because it was a good excuse to get very drunk, and it was a bit of entertainment, you know. And it wasn't really until I, I moved back many years later that I would come regularly and get a season ticket. Um, but. 
in the 80s i mean it, it was a very 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 different world and it was a bit like going to beirut on a saturday i mean you you took your life in your hands it was really i mean i i remember one of the first games i went to i don't know about 86 or something i went to see man united play uh chelsea play man united should i say and uh i remember a friend of mine got stabbed in the arse i mean actually he deserved it and he wasn't particularly nice but it's hardly the point i mean and, and it was just it was like random i mean it wasn't a safe place to go and you you know you had you had to have your wits about you um so it was quite easy to get cheesed off with it you know we weren't very very good so i think that legacy has kind of followed me around and there was a moment I and mean, dan will validate this but the, the before the palace game you know it was one of those rare occasions when absolutely all of us who were involved with the fan cast were in the pub plus a lot of other mates like rick glanville tim rolls people from the trust load of americans you guys were over not you guys but other guys that we know from the states were over yeah and it and it and it was rocking and we were having a I mean, and, and this is the great it's about friends it's about the comradeship you build up over many years and new friends like you guys and and we were having so much fun and i think there was a point tony and i tony glover and i looked at our watch and thinking we've got about 15 minutes should, should we just stay here you know <laughs> and you do get that feeling you know we've but, done the exact same thing in our few trips here yeah there you go you know what i mean however having said all of that you know there is no denying that the joy that i have had from seeing and this is really important to remember the joy that i've had from witnessing chelsea win these trophies i mean that night in munich well, well when i die that will be one of the images that flashes past you know like they say when before you you know it, that will that mean you know god she's not listening but that is without doubt the greatest day night of my life you know it, it is and the first chant Oh, you watching Todd? That's it. That's it. Followed by Mr. Blue Sky as I wandered off with a glazed look in my eye. But I mean, you cannot replace that. I mean, the joy you get from those occasions, you know, going to Wembley all of those times and seeing us win the FA Cup. I mean, it's just so, you know, we can sit here being all a bit kind of cynical and yeah, you know, well, we'll long the game off because we, we've seen it all. Mate, you cannot replace it. When, when you win that stuff and you're there and you're with your mates, it doesn't get any better than that. So we say it slightly in jests. It's about the football, really. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to keep in mind, too, though, that the like the idea is that it, there's no preordained right to go onto the field and to win every match. And I think to tie your happiness to the result on the field versus the, the time with friends and with loved ones is you know going to put you in a bad position and going to make you really sour, specifically with the kind of current condition. So I had a friend of mine who, who's very analytical and who places many, many, many sports bets uh, tell me this, and it, it's resonated with me ever since, even if I don't practice it all the time. And his, his stance was that being a sports fan is a losing proposition. <laughs> you lose way more than you win, and it's rare that your team actually will go and actually achieve what they set out to do at the beginning of the year. And it's true. I, I mean, does he support <laughs> Arsenal? Probably. Um, <laughs> so it's a yeah. But you know, but yeah, Nick, yeah. Nick, there's a, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I mean, we we started the fan cast uh, in well, it's our tenth anniversary uh, this month, believe it or not. Hey. Anyway. 
but we we started it in a, in a pub, as people know, and we used to we used to you know you uh, drink. Yeah, I know, frightening but true. Um, but we we would we would go to the pub before, drink what we normally drank, watch the match. We'd go straight back to Putney Station afterwards, carry on drinking, record the podcast, and you know we found that if we lost, I mean our emotions were really really raw, really raw. But you know the company of a few mates and talking about the game, it was like therapy. I mean it's bizarre. By the time give us about an hour and a few pints, we'd start laughing, cracking jokes, having a bit of banter, and and everything would be right with the world again, apart from Cheltel, who would sulk for at least a week. But you know, basically that's the other thing that we get, I think, in terms of the difference. You know, you guys, you know, I mean none of you live anywhere near each other. You go to a pub, you have to go home, or actually quite invariably the experience from what I'm told about American friends is that I'll watch it at home. Why are you gonna go and drive fifteen miles to a pub? Yeah? Why would you do that? 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it's a big ask. So they quite often watch at home. You know, so we, we have each other. We are around people who love us and understand, you know, and it's a really important thing if you lose, and it's shit, believe you me, it's painful, but you've got people around you, and, you know, after, after a few hours, it's okay. And I think that's essentially one of the main differences that, that we perhaps have with you guys. I'll let, I'll let Dan go. I, I will say, though... If if my friend's theory is to hold true, we've had the better end of that for a really long time. Uh, and so I, I find myself being more grateful now than almost anything. Like when we when we lose now, it doesn't it doesn't tear me up as it would have maybe like five years ago because it's it's just not the same. Like we've we've already, we've kind of done what we were supposed to do in you know if you think twenty years if you're going to go back to the ninety seven yeah. cup like there's a lot of things that have happened in the meantime and a lot of pressure that's been put on the first you know cash infused club to to go and win everything. Yeah, done that. We won it. Yeah. All. I don't know, yeah. I've seen a couple of those text threads after a match. I get mad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Oh, I get man. really mad, but yeah. it's not. It's this introspective yeah. uh, gentleman. <laughs> but but I am grateful, for real. I mean, Faye, weirdly, the Mourinho season after we won the league, where it all went absolutely to shit, that was some of the best away days I've ever had. I mean, I remember getting to Villa away towards the end of the season when um, Pato scored, and we were like, you know, <laughs> how, how shit must she be we're winning away, you know? And they were, you know, because they were singing about their, um, I think it was Randy Lerner, and we just, it was just, it was a fantastic away day. So sometimes like that, when you have a, we have a really shitty season you realise it's it's football and friends or also friends in football you know I've got some great friends through Chelsea and as you know as Chish says it's you know an afternoon ruined by 90 minutes of Chelsea but on the whole we've been blessed with some fantastic seasons I also feel very privileged I can go every week so from that point of view I'm kind of you know very grateful that we're in a position that we can go every week and enjoy it it's like humour too, isn't it? Yeah. Chelsea, we're very good at... Sorry, guys, yeah. yeah. We're, we're great at, the, at a bit of humour, and I think particularly on the away trips, even if... In fact, actually, the worse we are, the better the humour yeah. is, I think, in terms of the chance yeah. and stuff. it was like Southampton away a couple of years ago when Ivanovic scored in the last minute, you know, things like that. Little moments like that, it's just... It's great, because you, you will sit with the same people, you'll see the same people, and you all have the same sort of want for Chelsea to win, and you'll have the same frustration when you're walking away, and you've got like a... You know, you, you've lost 3-2 to Sunderland, and you've got... A six-hour train journey home and it's a dry train that's that's testing patience <laughs> yeah. unless you can smuggle in some limoncello yeah uh, I wasn't that wasn't on that train I was on yeah Martin Wickham had one beer for 20 of us it's really bad that, that's uh, some poor rationing is what that is yeah especially with Martin's drinking passion 
So I know that another thing uh, that Marco brought up too is about the importance of the uh, next appointment and kind of the thoughts around. And I think maybe even kind of pulling it back. Is there a thought or a feeling about what the general maybe footballing philosophy should be? You know, we've had a lot of maybe more defensive setup kind of structures. You know, less maybe attacking recently. You know, the thought that any of you have about what you'd like to see from Chelsea heading into next season, longer than a two-year contract, maybe. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody you attacks. I think. <sighs> It probably goes completely against the club's recent policy, but if they really are focused on, you know, the youth, so on and so forth, they need to tell a manager, listen, this is a five-year plan, you know, a new AVB where you've got three to five years. We don't necessarily expect anything maybe in the first two years, but I want you to integrate the kids. We'll give you a set budget. Mm -hmm. And then maybe year three, that's where the project really comes to fruition and we'll see where you are there. Because at the moment, the stakes, the pressure is so high for these managers that they have to do this, they have to do that. The kids won't get a chance because, you know, you can't stick an 18-year-old kid into a team. You know, very, very few players are that good that will come in. I mean, you know, you struggle to name 10 in the last 20 years of 18-year-old kids have come in. You know, Messi maybe won, maybe Ronaldo. Beyond that, you're struggling. So they, managers will need to know they have got time. They will have Roman's backing because essentially it's all down to Roman. Irrespective of, you know, whoever's below him, Roman has a final decision. It, he needs to, it hasn't happened though, has it? Since no, but that, that's the whole so point. Why, why will it happen now? Well, he's got to look at himself. We've had some fantastic managers. We've had some shit managers, but you know, they, we win the league, we don't invest, it goes to shit. We win the league, don't invest, it goes to shit. This is the third time this has happened. We've won the league and it's gone to shit. So something has to change. Either Roman's got to realise his mistake or... On the other hand, we think, you know, win the league, have a shit season, win the league, have a shit season. Is that what we want? I mean, it's got to a point now where you don't necessarily fall in love with managers anymore because, you know, they might be gone in two years. It's like, well, like short-term girlfriends. And the challenge that now is that there's going to be more rivals who are better set up yeah, for well, sustained success. You look, you look at the way City have done, the way they've invested, the way they've built that club of the three to four years. I mean, they're literally going to be the team to beat for... I mean, listen, it's, it's sovereign wealth, so the money's... You know, they can spend all the money they want. What, UEFA can't fight them because what, how are they going to fight a well, and then, and then one of their sponsors will magically have contributed another 50, 60, 70 million pounds yeah exactly I just they think offset yeah and then you've got United have always got the income from the Glazers and what have you Spurs well Spurs oh, official noodle Spurs. sponsors official uh, DVD licensing <laughs> yeah. printing sponsors you know the under pressure vanilla ice kind of thing it's, 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 a, it's a big summer for club I think you know to, to keep, compete with City compete with United we, we need to kind of absolutely get it right or we will we will struggle mm-hmm. I think you know because there, there isn't you know you go back to this team you know it's my least favourite team in a very long time because there's no one you really love in this mm-hmm. team I mean yeah I mean you've got some great players but you know do you, you, know if they, yeah. you have to love oh, okay N'Golo yeah but like you know Courtois and he goes tomorrow give a shit no has has N'Golo the two players you want to keep but the rest of them you know there, there's no John Terry Hazard's disappeared from a few of the games oh yeah, yeah okay I'll forget all the players oh yeah <laughs> it's a pressure of the microphone but you know just bring up another player and get you to say yes yeah, again okay. alright um, Alonso no but I just think that the, the, the team we have now compared to the first Roman team you had some real strong winning mentality and characters you know you had the spine and that was potentially a once in a lifetime spine you know Czech Terry Essien Lampard Drogba Ashley Cole that's a you know once in a lifetime team John Terry is a once in a lifetime player because that's that's the way football is now so that's me yeah. okay everybody else yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah I mean, I- just, just to go back to that point um, earlier about the, the way football clubs are structured and the fact that, um, you know, Mansoor 
had a, a very clear vision of what he wanted to achieve at Manchester City and how, how to set about doing that. And they kind of, they did a bit of a Chelsea and threw some money at it and won the league. But in the background, the whole the whole game plan was coming together. Whereas with Chelsea, it's kind of boom and bust, throw some money at it. It's almost like a real Madrid aspect to, to the, the, the way Chelsea have operated just in terms of, right, let's, let's go and try and buy some Galacticos and then going back to the spine of the team thing, um, which is gone. Um, you know, how, how, how does the football club take that forwards now? Um, no one knows because Conte's not going to be there. There's no director of football. The, these things don't, it's not just going to happen overnight, in, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you know, who, if, we, if we don't qualify for the Champions League, uh, who's going to want to come and play for Chelsea Football Club um, in, in respect of, you know, those world-class players? It's a World Cup this summer. You know, there's going to be two or three players that light up the World Cup um, that people are going to say, oh, yeah, you know, we need them. And the last World Cup, it was James, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ladies love cool James, you know, and, and, and then didn't quite work out for him where he went. Um, so who knows? All those United players. I mean, that, that's the, the, the big thing with Chelsea now. It's just that who knows? And no one knows because there's nothing there. There is nothing there. You cannot say we've got this brilliant director of football who's going to bring. He's connected with all these kids in I don't know Moldova. It's just, just it's not there. So all, all all we've got is Roman's bottomless pit of cash. That's it. So that you know, for me, that's a worry. That's a worry. Yeah, I mean that definitely makes sense. We've we've talked a lot about identity and kind of philosophy and. And, you know, uh, even I think a big word is probably consistency, you know, as, as of late as well. But um, thankfully, the one thing that I think that is also drawn us in is the consistency of just like the support around the club. Obviously, majority of our audience are very new to supporting the club, whereas a lot of your audience have been around over multiple decades. So, you know, with the support being so strong around the club, um, maybe change you give us an update on any of the the Chelsea supporters trust um, how things are going there and, and, and you know again getting involved no to keep um, you know the best part of Chelsea the fans going strong well we, we do our best um, but I mean ultimately whatever we do in terms of the trust uh, is within the gift of the club you know they, they, they don't have to meet us um, although I mean you know without waffling on about this because it's quite a complex issue but without waffling on about it for hours um, there are guidelines that are laid down actually by the government uh, in terms of how clubs are supposed to engage with the supporters and the umbrella organisations which the Trust is a, is a member of which is Supporters Direct and the Football Supporters Federation uh, try and kind of police those and make sure that they're carried out and uh, I mean Tim who, who you all know I mean I, I've, I've left Tim 
in his role that he did very well as the chairman which is the main guy who goes to what they call Premier League structured dialogue meetings so a couple of times a year all of the trusts and other uh, football related organisations supporter led organisations get round a table with the likes of uh, Richard Scudamore who's the chief guy at the Premier League and also the broadcasters and they hammer it out but the reality is they just pay lip service to it they're not listening you know I mean I'll give you an example the last structured dialogue meeting was a couple of weeks ago one of the key items on the agenda which Tim has been at the absolute forefront of is uh, you know kickoff times being changed Mm -hmm. because of the TV interference and and rescheduling them which you know apart from I mean you got look you got you see this is the thing this is not just an issue for away supporters you know us traveling up and down why are we doing this podcast today because the match was moved from today to Sunday well we, we you thought it'd be after the match didn't you yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well funnily enough it got moved to Sunday so it affects you guys uh, it, you know as much or even more seriously than it affects us because you've got to like book flights book hotels it's a massive issue right uh, we're not happy about it clearly so yeah yeah they say yeah yeah we'll take take it seriously we'll do what we can the next day they announced the, the that uh, I can't remember the match now but I think it might be Newcastle Everton have been changed to a ridiculously stupid time so how how I mean without using the vernacular too much clearly they give absolutely no fucks would be my analytical you know I'm I'm now getting yeah you know I'm getting to the stage now uh, and I, I, you know, this is my own personal view. This is not the view of the trust or Tim. But I'm getting to the stage now where I think the only way these guys are going to listen is if we take some direct action. By which I mean, you know, boycotting a match, not going. The only thing the TV companies understand uh, and like so they can use it to promote the game is an empty, you know, they like a full stadium full of atmosphere. You give them an empty stadium, they might think. Borussia Dortmund fans did this. They kicked off, no pun intended, about Monday Night Football, right? Which, of course, we'll never change here. It's enshrined. But in Germany, it's a relatively new thing. 25,000 out of 81,000 Dortmund fans, or that's whatever their capacity is, just didn't turn up. And now they're thinking about it again. So you've got to hit them where it hurts. I don't think talking's enough. I think we need to take action. And we, we talk directly to the Premier League and Scudamore. He does, he's not got a vested interest in it. His job is to market the game as proficiently as he can and make as much money out of selling it around the world as he can. He's a, he's a marketing guy. He doesn't care about what we think. The clubs are in hock to the, to the TV broadcasters like you wouldn't believe. 18% okay, of Chelsea's total revenue is derived from match day income, i.e. us walking through the door. In reality, take about 8-10% of that away for the corporates. So really, the match day supporter paying his, his, his money for a ticket, going through the door, is probably contributing only about 10% of Chelsea's total income. The TV income is far more important. So, you know, I don't see it changing. No matter how well we do collectively, how well we argue the case, I think maybe we need to start thinking about taking some more direct action. So it's already be depressing about it, but it's true. Well, okay, to follow up, sorry, good point, Jonathan. And the short answer is no. And this actually answers your original question. Thank you. The, uh, well, I needed to get that bit in. Um, 
to to you know have direct action like a mass boycott or something like that do you need the fans to be united to do that now 20 years ago 30 years ago the demographic of Chelsea fans were pretty unified I would say over the last 20 to 30 years the whole demographic has changed you know because basically a lot of the hardcore working class support have been priced out so now you've got more wealthy people going there and you know they they maybe aren't going there for the same reasons that a lot of us started going for so you know A they're not going to take a blind bit of notice and say well I've paid my money because they're, they're in it for the entertainment they're paying their money to be entertained I pay my money because it's what I do you know I go to the football but they're paying to you know paying their money to be entertained so they're more likely to say well no stuff you mate I paid my 50 quid why should we listen to you and the other thing is that uh, the demographic at Chelsea is also you know the average age of a season ticket season ticket holder at Chelsea is about 55 it's not it's, it's, it's 55 apparently late 50s um, and it's no no coincidence that they're that age because that means they would have been about 5 to 10 years old in 1970 when Chelsea won the FA Cup for the first time and, and our hardcore support really a lot of it fermented around that time but you know we're all getting a bit old and a bit like well you know we've done it for a long time can we really be asked there's a big fear that I have that if Chelsea uh, moves for example to Wembley for four years why they rebuild the stadium they could lose the majority of their hardcore support it'll be like well we've had a good innings can we really be asked to go to Wembley for four years actually no I think I'll call it a day but who's coming in after us because they priced the younger kids out for the last 20 years they don't have the attachment to the club that we do they don't have the habit of going every week I mean I would I would sell my grandmother to pay for my season ticket every year you know if she was alive I might anyway but you know I would do anything I can to find the money I don't earn a lot of money so I would do anything I can to fund that season ticket but if you've been priced out and you've got out of the habit of going why, why are you going to bother so, you know, to kind of conflate that with what Marco was saying, I think there's a real, I have a real fear for what the future of this club is. I really do. Certainly on the support side. Does the club care about that, do you think, Chidge, if there's success? No. No, exactly. I don't believe they do. They'll tell you that they do, but I don't really believe it. But if they have success subsequently because they throw more money at it, it doesn't matter if we're not uh, watching. Sorry, chaps. You know, he, he asked the question. I should answer it. I, look, the, the, thing, the thing is, is that the club are highly geared in terms of marketing, something that you know very, very well. So their solution is to the problem is to market better, more aggressively, more heavily, you know, all the time, all the time, all the time. So for them, it's about generating, you know, they don't care if we all go. I, I care because I think the culture will go forever it'll be gone they don't care they see it as an opportunity to market to new people who will spend more money than the likes of me Marco and Dan will yeah. Th this does though I think bring up a bigger point around stadium redevelopment right and, and how the club approach what is a pretty sensitive issue obviously I think there is a real worry that you know if it does take a longer period of time than even what Spurs Stadium has appeared to take that it could really um, fracture yeah, I don't know, fractured, but there, it wouldn't be as authentic, maybe, as it, as it might be if it had gone all to plan to this point. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel, Dan? It's, it's very possible. I think, uh, you know, we're saying the stadium is potentially three to five years away. But again, very reliant on having another superb TV deal. We might, we might find the next TV deal after the one that's starting next season could well be significantly less. So we're also yeah, reliant. We haven't sold the last pack. Yeah, so we're very, we're very reliant on a TV deal. I think. 
for one, so Chelsea's rationale is they'd, they'd rather have 42,000 different people coming in every week because they're going to spend money in the club shop, they're going to spend money on food. You know, the heartbeat of the club is, is you know, this, you know, this core supporters, which have been going for years and years and years. And with the supporters, they don't want. They want customers, not supporters. It's all about, you know, the, the, the buck. And that's the, excuse me, no, 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 no pun intended exactly. Yeah. So, I think we're, we're potentially looking at your stadium three to five years away, which is two TV deals mm-hmm. down the line. It'd be very interesting to see what happens if there is still that huge, you know, demand for billion pound TV deals. We might find it, it goes to shit. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a very different landscape with football in, in, in six which years' case, time. The, the fact that the ground will be 60,000 uh, 60, would be a benefit to the club. Mm-hmm. It might be that this is something we can fall back upon if the if the uh, the, the television deal does does yeah. fall apart. Does go, you know, pear-shaped. Because, yeah. I mean, right now you have the likes of uh, larger tech companies potentially poised to jump in and start mm-hmm. targeting... Premier League rights, yeah. so, but you know, there's probably a, a, there's going to be a ceiling for that at a certain point. No one's going to want to bid above a certain amount to try to kind of beat out, even though yeah. that's the last type of must-watch television is yeah. live sporting events. Because unlike a, a TV series, you know, like I mean, Game of Thrones, you could watch three hours later. Like people don't do it, but it's it's one of those like last like scripted television shows so, where yeah. you go watch it. Sports, you have to watch it; otherwise, you, you are going to get spoiled in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. You're going to find out the result. You're going to get a push notification. You're probably watching it, but you're not going to likely be spoiled yeah. behind it. I remember watching a game about half an hour behind. I think is it Mourinho's second title when we beat QPR one nil. So my phone was upside down. I was hearing beep 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 beep. Many from Dan Levine tweeting, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> at the game. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh god. I was getting so tempted to look at your phone. But I thought, no, I've got through 85 minutes of this, and then Fabregas scored, and it was it was brilliant. So yeah, I think. It's, it's, it's a very different landscape to football I grew up with and all these chaps grew up with. Things do change. They do change, yeah. Um, classic old man old. Oh, yeah. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not it's, it's resisting it. In many ways, it's been very positive because we've seen some amazing players come from across the world. I mean, uh, seeing like Joe Franco's own in the flesh, it was absolute joy to watch. All, you know, from, you know... Do you not have his kit on, though? No, I had a Frank Sinclair shirt, believe it or not. <laughs> so so <laughs> as we talk about the, uh, the stadium, we would be remiss if uh, Dan Levine, who is in the audience here tonight with us... I, I, uh, I've, applause, just, applause. I've just got to say, I've never Notice that he's defected to Channel Four. Is there something I should know here? <laughs> hey, they What's set about they that? set this up as the old uh, anchorman, the Channel Four versus Channel Nine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dan, Dan immediately he immediately, he immediately sat with these guys. I you know, don't know what to think about that. <laughs> this is my voice. <laughs> well, it is now actually. Just the, it's just the, the Dan show now. Now that there's three Dans on it, we'll have to rebrand. <laughs> I, I still love Dan. I still love Dan. Let's, do you realise there are three Dans around the table? Dan, Dan, Dan. We've only got three Dans. Dan, Dan, Super Dan. <laughs> Uh, but what was the question? I, I think it would be more just uh, your, your thoughts kind of in general about, you know, where the, the stadium development is at and, and kind of what maybe your projections would be kind of in, uh, in the reporting on it. Um, it's an interesting time for Chelsea. Um, obviously, this business about the, the, the stadium has been going, going on for some years now, and uh, I think people are hearing an awful lot of silence at the moment, and they're wondering what that means. Uh, the stadium's got planning permission. Um, it's been through the mayor's office. There have been funny little hurdles that people have to jump through. I think there are 
bigger issues maybe than what's going on. I mean, realistically, if you look out the window, you'll see that there's, just from where we sat, there's a railway line over the road. Um, and a lot of what um, the club are doing is negotiating with people who run the railway so they can build over it, so they can make the stadium bigger. The more existential stuff that we've got to deal with, and Chish has touched on a little bit, I think Marco as well, is what we do while we're away. Because we're going to be somewhere else for four years. You know, originally it was three years, now it's four years, who knows, it maybe it end up five years. Um, and that is going to really affect the way we are as a club. You know, this club was created for Stamford Bridge, remember. Um, without Stamford Bridge, Chelsea doesn't exist. This isn't like uh, some other places where they've um, just tried to you know, um, flit around. QPR have had something like 26 grounds in their, in their existence. Um, Chelsea... All of them rubbish, by the way. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Chelsea literally was created to fill Stamford Bridge and those are our pubs we're sitting in one of them there are our restaurants there are our streets there are stalls in the streets there are people walking down the streets there are police horses that we see every week and if we're away for four years five years that's going to change and we need to get used to that we need to think about how we're going to make that work and also how we're going to keep what we've got here because there's a big risk if we ignore it for four or five years it might not be then we come back Dan is the borough keen on keeping the uh, when we go away for, to a different ground was that uh, originally an idea to keep um, to keep the club as near as possible or is that something you're not allowed to talk about I, I, I couldn't tell you on that front but but what I, I can say is that uh, I know that um, we, we're, we're sat in Hammersmith and Fulham here which is a borough that's got three top clubs in it which is unique as far as I know anywhere in a borough in Europe um, and you can laugh all you like about the status of Fulham who hopefully come up this year yeah. to the Premier League and QPR who definitely won't um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a big tourist draw for this part of London. Um, and there are plenty of Americans in the audience who have come here spending their money in, in this part of London because of it. Um, what we need to remember as, as fans who are here week in, week out, 52 weeks of the year or whatever it is, um, that pubs are dying in London. That there are hundreds dying every We're week. Doing best, We're doing our best. But, you know, you donated your liver to the well, cause, actually. As I say, while we're away, and we will be away for some time, we need to make sure that places like the Atlas, where we're sat, and many other pubs that we love around this, this part of London, don't go on. Yeah, I almost feel like applauding there. <laughs> I would add to that, I mean... Dan's absolutely right, as he, as he invariably is. Um, I mean, the Sports Trust are also very aware of that, Dan, and we're, we're doing everything that we can to try and forge as many relationships with the local businesses and the pubs particularly. Um, you'd not be surprised to hear, perhaps, <laughs> because we're aware of that. Um, the club are too. I mean, we've made the club aware of it. I mean, to be really honest, they don't need to be. They're not stupid. So they're also, I think, quite switched on in terms of what they're going to try and do. I mean, I'll be really honest with you and perhaps shouldn't really share this but uh, I, all I will say is somebody in the club said to me um, yeah but you know there'll be thousands and thousands of builders there they'll want to have a drink so the pubs will still be there when you get back I thought that was a bit flippant but actually there is a bit of truth to that the reality is I think the club will do everything they can to support the local community too and they have a remit to do that as you know with the council I mean there's a very close relationship I think between the club and the council that's been forged in, 
this during this process so I would imagine that they will try hard but there's no guarantee that's the, that's the trouble they can't make it happen can they they can't go and buy every pub in the in the borough and make sure they're still here when we come back one of the things that was was very um, clear in again going back to Marco and what you were saying about how a club is more than just 11 men on the pitch kicking a ball around it's about the culture it's about the history it's about where we're from about the streets we walk down um, the thing is that London like any big city is changing uh, as, as the weeks go on as the years go on um, if you look around this is very very wealthy it's becoming a wealthy part of London it's becoming a very expensive part of London and property is very very expensive so pubs are for that reason becoming uh, overnight private residences uh, there's one we all know on Fulham Road which was brought up by a rock star because he didn't like the noise coming through to his, his flat next door and turned into an extension to his own home which is a real shame there's another one that uh, was over not beautiful either no, there's a, no I'm thinking about a different one actually oh, <laughs> I'd say it was a little bit reckless oh. um, ah. um, but one that isn't beautiful is one that's been bought by another rock star um, and is uh, uh, one of the, the, the best looking pub interiors in, in London uh, and we're, we're not seeing it come out the other side it might end up being his own place who knows I heard it was going to go back to a pub actually if you're talking about a fox yeah um, but just just the point I'm, I'm, I'm going coming to in a roundabout way is that, that um, a club is more than just what happens between three o'clock and five o'clock on the pitch and an area is more than the people who come to it once a week um, and we need to make sure the two work together yeah Mesquite and Paul I mean, I, I just think that what, what's interesting is that there's absolutely no precedent in, in British football for, for really for what's about to happen. True. Um, you know, if you look at Tottenham, it's a season at Wembley. You know, I think Arsenal played their European games uh, uh, at Wembley. You know, but, but to move away, I mean, it, and what's that going to look like? You know, everything we hear is two more seasons at the bridge and then you know as, as um, Dan said there's this desire to perhaps explore ideas of staying within the, the borough of, you know of H&F but what does that look like does it mean one season maybe at Fulham but then Fulham now have just announced their you know the, the new Riverside stand in 2019 which is kind of I think the the, the, the season that, that, that Chelsea will will um, pack up at, at the bridge uh, so is that is that a possibility I, I don't know I mean I've heard stuff about the Linford Christie Stadium um, you know the, Wembley are we really going to play at Wembley for four seasons it's you know do we become like the Harlem Globetrotters and <laughs> play well no but you know that, that, that's a possibility we could play Champions League games in one stadium and league games in, a, in, a, in right. another we can have a season in the Bronx <laughs> but yeah <laughs> don't tell, yeah. tell all that Dan 39th game and all of that I think it's, it's just that whole the, the big thing is it's just a whole not knowing and you know for, for supporters who've 
been coming year in, year out. Um, and even younger supporters, it's like, what are you doing with my Chelsea? You know, it's like, until you've taken my Chelsea away, you know, you make me happy when skies are grey, but where? <laughs> you know, where's it going to be? I mean, but you're right, and you know this absolutely for a fact. I mean, my match day ritual is I hop on a 211 bus from Pimlico, which stops. I d- it stops five yards from Marco and DJ's stool. Yeah, but I've got arthritis because of standing on that yes, bloody stool. Yes, I know stool. you have. <laughs> and that's, so, but that's, well, I can say now, I am you're retiring. Ha- you are retiring. <laughs> Breaking news. But I mean, my, that's my match day routine. I stop, I get off the bus, I, I sit and talk to Marco and a few other chaps that are around. It's the first thing I do, get a fanzine, stay about half an hour, sometimes buy him a hot chocolate if he's looking absolutely freezing, which he invariably is. Uh, in the old days, he used to nick a cigarette from me. That no longer happens as much. Uh, and then I wander off down at the pub and you, there is a ritual there. That's the point. And that's the beautiful thing about coming... I went all Brendan Rogers there, didn't I? But it's the beautiful thing about... Um, Brendan Rogers, But, you know, it, it is. It's a lovely, lovely thing uh, to have that ritual. And it's really very much about what going to the football is all about, in a sense. Dan nailed it as well. It's more than just the football. And if you take that away for four years, it's, it's, it's going to be really difficult, I think, for a lot of people. So I don't know if one of our Dan's or someone else wants to jump in, but this sounds like the reason why the Chelsea pitch owners is extremely important to the club. And again, as newer fans, as, as a lot of the, the international audiences, um, you should know about it by now. They're having a hell of a deal, so you should go buy it. But again, why? Like, what's the 30-second the history of it and then the why? Um, Chelsea Pitch Owners is, is a remarkable thing. There's, there's nothing like it anywhere else in, in British football, as far as can work out, anywhere else in the world. And it was created by Ken Bates, the previous owner. And it was a time when we were at risk of having our club taken away from us in the form of our ground. Like I said, Chelsea were invented for Stamford Bridge. Stamford Bridge goes, there's no Chelsea. Um, and so people can buy a £100 share in Stamford Bridge. Um, 25 quid now. Yeah, indeed, as Jonathan says, it's now, it's now 25 quid. You can buy a quarter of a share, if you like, for 25 quid. And what that gives you is a right to say something about the future of how the ground is, is used and how it is connected to the club. Um, Chelsea Pitch Owners has, in the past, defended this uh, club from being homeless. It's defended this club from being rootless. Uh, and they do really, really good things. Uh, it's uh, the one thing I think that we, as supporters, have got um, to 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 stake our claim in Chelsea and to, to if you like, sort of preserve the history, the, the, the future of the club, and it's a very very powerful thing. I made the point a few weeks ago that, uh, funny enough, I was writing an article about what was happening at West Ham and how they'd been sold down the river by their club, really. And I mean, not that I was condoning the violence and the running on the pitch, but you can understand their frustration because, of course, they had no vehicle like the CPO when Gold Sutherland, well, I I hesitate to call them by the nickname that we use for them, but um, the dildo twins. Uh, (laughs) But, you know... They had no say. They couldn't prevent them. If, if West Ham's board wanted to up sticks, uh, sell uh, Upton Park for a lot of money and get it developed on and move to London Stadium, the supporters had nothing they could do. Because of the CPO, that can't happen here. 
you know, unless there's something nefarious happens like 2011, yeah, thank you, where uh, allegedly a lot of shares were attempted to, uh, well, you know, people tried to buy a lot of shares that were going to vote, uh, you know. But it, was but it was defeated because there were enough, and here, and there we go, the, you tear them up or you, uh, you tear them up or not, yeah. But uh, <laughs> this is why it's so important to, for normal, ordinary, everyday supporters who love this club and who want to see football played here, not just now, but for generations to come, to go and buy a share. You know, if everybody in this sh uh, room had a share and then multiply that by a hundredfold, no matter what the club does, allegedly, nefariously, it's not going to work because there are enough of us to consistently vote against, uh, you know, anything untoward happening like, you know, selling it out, moving, what have you. It's a massively important thing. And as Dan said, by, by it's unique. Way, by the way, um, the power that the shareholders and the fans have because of that means that the club has now had to listen. Uh, and, and all of the soundings I get from people involved in this are the club has put fans central in the design of the new stadium, yeah. uh, in, in the way that things are going to be done. Okay, we might end up somewhere that a lot of people aren't going to like for four years, I'm afraid, because whatever you pick, a lot of people aren't yeah. going to like it. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's no one place you can pick that will be perfect, apart from where we are at the moment. The Chelsea pitch owners has done that. Just above. Just above. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Um, good. Obviously, a lot of important things come out of this. A lot of what we want to do is bring light to a lot of different things that, again, a lot of our audiences and us as international supporters were disconnected from. As much as our connection is, is social media and what is broadcasted to us. So, again, you guys as well, we really, really do appreciate that. Another thing that we were interested in getting uh, opinions from was about the quality of fan media uh, content, actually, and why a lot of people are going to jump to podcasts and YouTube channels. We actually specifically want to talk about Only a Pound in, in the CFC UK stall. Uh, a lot of your community, Chad Harris, uh, present, specifically wanted to ask Marco, uh, what is the story behind the CFC UK <laughs> stall, uh, the program, and <laughs> what role? What role does the fanzine play in the CFC fan culture here? Okay, so so well, the first thing is that the, the brains behind um, the, the the fanzine is David Johnston, who uh, masquerades on Twitter as only a pound. Oh yeah. Um, so it, it's his child, and I'm kind of his his capable assistant on on match days, and, <laughs> and man the CFC UK stall and write for it, as quite a few of us do, but. The, the, the whole history and culture behind it um, sort of going back the the, 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 the fanzine culture in, in British football there, there was a I think it's still going actually a, a, it's now a magazine called When Saturday Comes which, which was kind of agnostic and it was a it was a magazine for, for supporters of all clubs and sort of off the back of that there were a couple of um, fanzines um, there was the Chelsea Independent there was Red Card this was around 1988. Um, in, um, I think it was nine. They they went. They ran for quite a while. Um, sort of fizzled out. They ran into problems with Ken Bates. 
um, 19, I think it was 1999, Dave started um, CFC UK. It was actually called Matthew Hardin's Blue and White Army. So the first 50 issues um, were, were, ran as Matthew Hardin's Blue and White Army, set the price at a, as a pound. So his battle cry is only a pound, hurry up. Um, so it ran for 50 issues. And then when Roman uh, bought the club in 2003, uh, it was kind of like a decision, okay, um, new owner, new direction, let's refresh um, the brand. So, so it, re it rebadged itself as um, CFC UK. Uh, there's a new issue out tomorrow. So it's, it's um, issue 195 in total since it's been running. And, and it's the only Chelsea fanzine now. So red card sort of, um, sadly, um, Alan Collis, the guy behind red card, passed away. I think it was last year. Uh, but red card sort of faded um, maybe five or six years ago. There's been a couple of other attempts at fanzines um, de down the years. But I think, you know, Dave, through his tenacity and willingness to go home and away with it, with his Sainsbury's bag full of fanzines and pu push it out to I thought they were official CFC UK bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and keep the price at a pound. So it's just become a part of, you know, as, as Chidra was talking about earlier about people's match day routines. You know, it's kind of like that, the, 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 the good luck routine. You know, yeah. part of that is either getting the fanzine from one of the sellers along the, the road to the ground or buying it from the stall and having a chat. Um, you know, and it, it, depending on, there's, there's an issue every month. It's kind of like maybe 10, 11, 12 issues a year, depending on how much football's being played. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's part of, a, part of a fabric of the club. A lot of people who have write for it have gone on to write other, you know, write books and do all kinds of stuff. Do podcasts. Yeah, do podcasts. Um, you know, and the fact that it's paper is kind of, you know, an, an endearing um, hark back to football traditions. So, but kind of, what's what's the why? Like, why did you even start it? Good question. Why, why, why? Well, it was fanzines became football and music have been interlinked for, for quite a long time. So when I started, um, when I got into Chelsea, uh, it was kind of the time of punk rock. And I was actually a punk and I was more into music than I was into football. And there was a whole fanzine culture grew up around um, music and the various um, sort of sub, yeah, subcultures around that. And it was kind of, you know, football and music were interlinked. So fanzines kind of grew from that. You know, and now, uh, I mean, a lot of the, you know, United, Liverpool, they have two or three fanzines and they're two or three pounds each you know the, the whole thing about the the, the, the fanzine is I mean I, I stopped buying the Chelsea program sort of during the rave era because basically I'd come to Chelsea and then I'd you know go, go out raving and lose my program so yeah. it's like what was the point of doing that and then obviously you know it was kind of you know it was Ken Bates personal platform to rant against the official or the, the FA and, and the rest of the world and I kind of grew tired about that and what the fanzine does it it's, it's a platform it's written by supporters for supporters yeah. so that's the key point of difference and that's why um, you know it's got its place in, in Chelsea culture and you know 
Dave's got no intention of uh, packing it in. I mean, he's kind of thought, you know, I said, have you got a contingency pen in case you get struck down by lightning? And he went, yeah, it's you. Key man, <laughs> yeah. it's you. So, um, but yeah, you know, yeah, we, it, it, you know, maybe a thousand, two thousand copies um, a month, a print run, depending on the number of games. So, you know, that's a, that's a fair proportion of the, the, the people that go to games that, that buy it. I mean, it's available online. You can download it um, for people who don't go to games. There are outlets to, to download a, digi a digital version of it. Um, I, I don't know how that goes. I, I don't know what the numbers are there. But it's just nice to have fold it up, put it in your pocket. If it's raining, you put it on your head, keep yourself dry, you know, or, or hit people with it. <laughs> you know, I'm, sure, I'm sure Trump would like to be spanked. Um, yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> to be fair, the fact that it took us an hour and 40 minutes to hit a Trump reference, I'm pretty happy with that. We're nothing, we're nothing but respectful here. Can I, can I, just, add, can I just add something? Talking of politics, actually, because uh, Mark Marco is too humble and, and doesn't do the politics, but I think the other thing that's important to say about the fanzine is that Dave, you know, the proprietor, that's the right term, isn't it for a, a newspaper magnet um, no I see he's definitely the proprietor isn't he but anyway you know Dave is quite political and he always has been about this club okay he's, he's the extreme militia of the Chelsea political fraternity but you know I, I would not be chairman of the Chelsea Supporters Trust if it wasn't for DJ and, and the fanzine I mean I, I suddenly you know I, I got kind of an insight as to what was going on and why it was important through reading that and then then writing for it and then realising you know there were more important issues in football than how many pints I could drink before a game you know I mean it's a throwaway remark but actually really true really there was a time when Martin would try trying to get me as many as he could down my throat because we beat City 6-0 once and he, he was convinced it was because I'd had six pints of Stella before the game but that's another story the bottom line is it opened my eyes to the fact that there are some very important issues going on with supporters and football and, and I owe Dave a lot for that and the fanzine in particular I just wanted to get that can point I, in can I just give a different view on this um, as a, a lone member as far as I can work out of the, the old school media here um, on fan media um, podcasts twitter feeds um, uh, fanzines whatever you want to call them there's a reason why we're, they're so influential at Chelsea I think and that's because they're so damn good I don't think there is any club in the Premier League that has got such a good and well established by the way worldwide um, alternative media as Chelsea has got and the um, the way this club looks now and the way this club feels now is in a large part um, due to our alternative media I'll give you one small example you know back in the day when we had the threat of um, racist groups moving in on Chelsea and we had the Chelsea Independent who were central to backing them down and telling them to get their, their way out of this and people got badly hurt in a lot of ways because of that people have always taken a stand fans have always spoken for themselves and Chelsea is a great club because of that yeah, yeah. I was just going to say I think the, the, the beauty of podcasts the beauty of fanzines is 
it's it's Chelsea people. A lot of the stuff the club pedal is very sanitised. So it's kind of like the essence of being Chelsea from Chelsea supporters. That's why it's you know so good to read. You get so many contrasting opinions rather than the, uh, the crap's the wrong word. But the stuff the club pedals. You know, it's all very sanitised. It's all very like you know friendly. But podcast fanzines. It's for Chelsea by Chelsea fans. I think that's why something up. So I was just saying. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, I I've been trumped. I, no, well, you know. Well, oh, oh, oh. yeah. Make Chelsea great again. Um, Jesus sweat. Chelsea Clinton, obviously. Um, That's a political gag. I feel, I feel like Ben Elton. Stormy. But no, I mean, I'd just like to pick up on on, on Dan Levine's point actually, and and uh, you know, I'm really glad he did because I've not. I hasn't. I haven't kind of missed that really but the fact is is that the quality of the writing in that fanzine is superb you know and you look look at I mean Marco I mean he, he writes uh, more broadly than the fanzine now but how many books have you you written now Loads. yeah and they're cracking mate Tim Rolls Walter Otten Kelvin Barker yeah. you, Clayton the, the gate 17 yeah but you know the, the quality of the writing is and I, and I clearly don't include myself in that but the quality of the writing is superb and I'm really chuffed that Dan mentioned that sorry to trump you no 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 no. I appreciate it like I just I want to make sure that as we literally sit in a room talking about fan gender content that we do have Breathe Chelsea is here as well absolutely is Roman's Empire podcast who's Roman's Empire there we go you guys great to see you you know even from from our perspective we have so many members of other chapters and their fan generated content is going to the pub and communicating just internally in their group so with that, I do want to pass it to Nick uh, to continue kind of the talk about the culture around it. And, and it's really just a final point uh, for me that I think as things are changing and, and change is uncomfortable for a lot of people, uh, that really thoughtful conversations are important. Uh, and and it's, it's important that it's done by fans because... You know, I, I think if you're on the board of Chelsea and, and you're seeing the business from a 30,000 foot view that groupthink can be a part of your decision making process and the fans feel it on a really local level. And I think Dan Levine said that uh, eloquently earlier uh, that, you know, we have uh, we pride ourselves on not being the Arsenal fan TV of, of Chelsea, um, <laughs> at least I hope so. And I, I think that the more thoughtful conversations that the fan cast has, and, and they have plenty of them over a two-hour show, and the more that we have, and the more that Roman's Empire has, the more that Breathe Chelsea has, the better off and more serious that we're taken. If we're out there, you know, after a match, uh, doing all the stupid shit that the Arsenal uh, TV crew does, uh, it just... <laughs> It just doesn't feel as real. Uh, so that would be my plea to any sort of Chelsea fan-driven media out there would be uh, think long and hard about what you're trying to say and and, and maybe even bring on more experienced members uh, of the community to give you perspective. Uh, certainly that's what we've done uh, on our show because we don't have that naturally built in uh, with the three members that we have here. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference. And if you're trying to incite real change, uh, I think you need a broad perspective that is eventually driven down into a you know a couple of points that can be eloquently said I, w- I would point out, though, that Dan Levine is 100% right as someone who has just uh, done opposition research on some of the other <laughs> podcasts that exist for City. That's no Liverpool. way to talk about the Chelsea fan cast, Dan. 
friends no no Chelsea fan I never, I never listen not to opposition <laughs> um, they, they're usually uh, just categorically shit um, from start to end so uh, you know I think he's absolutely right that uh, whether it be our friends at We Ain't Got No History um, or any of the great content out there uh, I think we are extremely lucky as a fan base for the quality of content that gets put out and the undying love we have and I think that that permeates into the words the, the audio the video that gets created uh, around this club and supporting this club. That's helped at all by the secrecy of the uh, the hierarchy, the fact that nothing comes out from Roman at all. Do you think that uh, the fact that we have to somehow work out the pattern or try and Fill the void. give some kind of sense to everything that's happening? To figure out what way they're going and yeah. some tea leaves. I, d- I don't know about that. I, I think that, that's, that there is a point there surely absolutely but I think you know Ken Bates was such a divisive figure it was just in a different age when we just didn't have the technology to do podcasts and things you know I mean we were talking about it funnily enough we were talking about this in the pub uh, last night uh, about you know what we try and do on the fan cast and I've always been keen to have a balance between being utterly irrelevant and silly which allows the personalities to come out but also you know we're blessed with having people on there I mean you know I, I get to do a podcast with these guys who've been going way longer than me it's fantastic I mean Jonathan Wait. Jonathan's first game was in 55 55 1857 guys you know what I was saying you know what I was saying about that balance between being silly and irreverent yeah um, but the fact is you know when, you, when you've got this knowledge and experience uh, who are prepared to give up their time for free and it's, it's quite hard work as you guys know um, then you also have access to incredibly insightful knowledge you know but I think for, for me what I've always tried to do with the fan cast is have that balance because I think a lot of uh you know, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of fan-oriented or fan-generated media takes itself far too seriously. They make the mistake of trying to be what they see on the television or hear on the radio, <laughs> and they just end up looking stupid and looking preachy. You know, I think for us, it's about being ourselves, being who we really are. But of course, you know, be aware that we do know a fair bit, actually, you know, but don't like kind of wave your dick around saying it. That's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> Apologies to the ladies in the room. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, you know, I think that... I think we need to get to more drinking, which is what Brandon's about to say. So we might want to wind this down for some final thoughts. No, it's true. I mean, obviously, first of all, uh, a massive thank you to everyone that's here just to hang out with us, whether or not... What, you know, just because we have the microphones, it doesn't make it more important and definitely doesn't make it any easier. So we are uh, really thrilled whether or not you came with us, you came on your own, you're from here. Like, it's amazing to have a community like this to come to. Uh, obviously, our friends uh, from the Chelsea FanCast, we've gotten to know the four of you really well in a very short time since we started coming in the last 12 months. Uh, and it's been fantastic. So obviously, the reason we reach out to you is because of how much we respect you and 
and love hanging out with you because you extend an amazing uh, olive branch to us when we come with all the help you've given us. So thank you for that. Apart from when I forget to turn up on your podcast. <laughs> That's why we show up. <laughs> to, to be fair, it was Mother's Day. You know, you, you, uh, yeah, that's there. true. Mind you, I, one day I will release the photoshopped uh, <laughs> thing that you put on my Skype <laughs> to the world as punishment. Yeah. It's, it's frankly, it's libelous. Somebody will get locked up for a long time. Uh, but anyways, with everyone being said, uh, I do just want to go around. This is a tradition we do as a final thought, uh, but we want to go around from each of you and you can just kind of give one thing you want to say, especially to our dominantly American audience or just in international general, whether it's kind of like a, hey, go do this. You know, this is something you should be aware of, whatever it is. Or you can just say, hey, thanks for listening. You know, nothing, no pressure. Okay. <laughs> I'm first. Great. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, uh, um, I just like to say how completely brilliant what, uh, what, what you do is completely wonderful yeah. and uh, uh, the whole aspect of uh, supporters from around the world um, being able to link via the fancast, via yourselves via, and particularly the connection with America and uh, um, but as I say uh, everywhere Australia and New Zealand all the supporters clubs um, that we're ultimately communicating with and getting to know is uh, quite joyous it's uh, it's an emotional thing Dan wants to take yeah, it off me. Yeah. He's just going to thought now. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've said that, he's got oh, I can talk final, about it. Final thought. It's a mulligan. Yeah, I'd just like to say, ah, it's, it's one big, beautiful Chelsea family, wherever you're from in the world, and we love you all. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And the other thing to say is that uh, I actually have faith in Roman, and I know we're all a bit down about everything, but I think that um, something will happen in the summer that will uh, cause us to win more trophies, whether that's what we want. I mean, we obviously want that, but whether... whether that, it's, yes, it'll be a new manager who will, uh, um, I hope, integrate the youth in some way, uh, because I think that is going to implode otherwise, yeah. uh, because it's getting ridiculous that they're having such success there has to be some kind of um, of uh, I don't know um, continuity between the youth and the uh, okay. uh, and the uh and yeah, there has to be something happen. I, I think Roman will go mad if it doesn't, because I think he's he, he he's invested that's, enough. That's, he's invested yeah. so much money in that. But the thing to remember as well, there's been a lot of huge negativity on the internet about the the club. Somehow they're running out of money. It's like 1975 all over again. The club's going to fall apart, implode. You have to remember he is a billionaire, um, and all he needs to do is put a billion in a bank account, and he'll have earned another billion by the end of the year, which will pay for everything. Now, I, I, he must make a decision ultimately to bail the club out if it's going badly. Um, so I, I have constant faith that something will always happen that will, will save the club. We're not going to fall apart. Um, uh, I don't think he, would, he will tolerate having a, uh, uh, another Mourinho season or even a season like this. Unless, of course, we win the FA Cup, but even that isn't the achievement he's after. The club needs to be um, a Champions League side and needs to be challenging for the trophy. And that will always be his aim uh, because he is after status, ultimately. Um, but once again, I, I'm, I'm deducing this from information that uh, I, I, you know, is just experience and reading. I don't know because of the, the, the quietness. If I get the odd being sitting as I do in the uh, hospitality area in the East I get the odd <laughs> drib and drab of information that is 
possibly not what any of the rest of us get, but I don't even know whether that is true. I can occasionally is corroborated by various sources. It's a disinformation campaign. This, yeah. this well, is legalese for this is what's I'm, happening. I'm just the patsy here, and I've been, <laughs> I'm being You're the fall guy. This, yeah, this, this dreadfully fake information. But uh, it's fun to be able, particularly with the fan cast, to be able to come up with a, a few pieces of information that other people don't appear to have, even if it's fake, I have to say. I don't know. I don't know, but it's a, it's a nice, nice angle to have because, um, I mean, I sit in a seat which uh, I've been sitting in for 25 years, and it originally was just a seat, and Bates then decided that he wanted to make it into a... Into, yeah, yes, it's now... Just as Marco says, it's a jewel-encrusted area now, but then it was just, you know, East Stand Middle, and uh, um, uh, Bates made it into a hospitality area. Each year, he added something, or you get, uh, you get your food, now you have to pay for that, or you get your drink, now you have to pay for that, and the price just went up and up. But it's just, they're great seats, and I get an opportunity to sit behind the dugouts, and you get different perspective on it, as we've talked about in the fan cast. You hear, you have a different angle, you, you hear, you see something going on below that you hadn't realized. You know, I took a picture of Hiddink being knocked over in the Spurs game, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> nobody else had any angle on that at all, and I stuck it up on the website, you know, several thousand hits later, and I'm thinking, blimey, I'm the only person who actually saw this happen, I can work out here. Um, but no, so uh, um, that's my, my feeling is I'm, I'm constantly optimistic. I mean, it's impossible not to be when Spurs, you know, apart from apparently being the, the best team of the league at the moment, haven't won anything for <laughs> an eternity, whereas we've won so much. So, um, yeah, despite my hiding behind parapets and uh, I'm still behaving as if I'm nine. In fact, I've got a picture of myself with a rattle that I must put up and uh, proof with my little bobble hat and my blue tracksuit uh, standing in the shed with my rattle. I don't know how I was tolerated, come to think of it, but this was, <laughs> this was 1963. Um, uh, so the progress has been made, but I'm, uh, uh, I love watching the team and uh, I just really hope that, um, uh, I mean, I'm sure that something will happen in the summer and we'll go, ah, and breathe, we're okay again now. So you're gonna go down. Yeah. Okay. Well done, Dan. Okay, Dan's bye off. everybody, thank you. <laughs> bye, Dan. Oh, it's the appropriate amount of Dan's left Dan. on the show. There were too many Dan's. Go ahead, Marco. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to basically echo uh, Dan's sentiments there. I mean, for me, you know, following Chelsea has given me what effectively have become lifelong friendships. And, and I think what's what started out as kind of you know a, a local sort of it's a London type thing um, the, the, the global nature and the way we all communicate with each other you know there are people I've never met that I have banter with on Twitter and um, I don't know who these people are but um, the things that I've experienced um, going abroad through business or holidays and you'll always find somebody that you've met through social media that's Chelsea and you, you can go meet them for the first time and it's like you've been mates for 20 years you immediately pick up on all the banter and nothing else in life gives you that and you know I'm sure it's the same for other football clubs but you know I think I think Chelsea there's a, there's a very special community of people out there um, as a football club you know we get tarnished with some horrible stuff um, 
you know, maybe it's justified, maybe it isn't, but it, but it happens. Um, and the fact is that there are millions of really nice people out there, uh, and, and it's a fantastic club. And you know, for the guys, people who are new to Chelsea and they're wondering, oh my God, what's happening? What have I let myself in for? Trust me, keep the faith because we always come back. So it might take a little bit longer now, but we'll be back. Hello, hello, as the song goes. <laughs> Can I follow that? Uh, I mean, obviously, I agree. I, I obviously agree with everything that they've they've both said. But uh, I mean, you know, I said earlier on this is that you know our tenth anniversary of doing the show is at the end of this month, and it absolutely staggers me that a we're still doing it ten years later, but that anybody's ever listened to it in the first place. But the fact is, that's the point. I mean, you know, it is a lot of hard work. You know, it takes a bit of time and stuff. But uh, you know, I do it willingly and lovingly. All the guys. I, I, you know, I never get any of these guys ever complaining when I say, oh, can you do this show this week? You know, yeah, no problem, mate, love to. And the reason is because we love doing it, you know, but it's not just that, you know, as long as there are people out there like you guys who want to listen to it, I'll still be doing it. I might be a bit old and doddery, but, you know, we will because that's the, that's the kind of the mutuality of it, if you like. And I think you get that too. And I think when you started, it was, you know, easy to, to put out a hand and say, you know, do you want any help or whatever? You know, in, in my very odd world view, every podcast should be a Chelsea podcast. The world would be a much <laughs> the world would be a much better place. Here, here. So there you go. Um, I think that's probably the best way to leave it. But apart from thank you guys for enriching our lives, I hope that we've done a little bit to enrich yours. But uh, and I will be available for beer and chat later. <laughs> I just want to say thanks. Uh, you know, it's, it is very, very special for us to uh, be able to throw an event like this. And it's not something we take lightly. We put some planning into it, not a ton, because that's just not who we are. But uh, we did write the script last night ahead of today. Technically, we were a day ahead. So I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but you guys know we love you. And, and that's at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Uh, you can tell there's, there's no sibling rivalry here, as some might insinuate on Twitter and some graphics might insinuate from the, news, uh, from the newscaster fight. Whose idea was that? Uh, that, was, that was actually inspired that was, by you. Yeah, that was Trigger's. Sorry, guy. It's like, yeah, that. We that, didn't bring a trident, though, so we left yeah, that one at home. That, that Mike Flynn. A trident to a gunfight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we just love you guys. This is amazing for us to do thank you for everyone who came out and yeah. watched this um, unfold yeah yeah I think uh, you know it's a lot of echo chamber element right now but you know to me it's it's incredibly humbling you know you guys are 10 years in we're uh, just about to be in in the fourth year kind of zone and um, to you know go and, and really at this point you know we you know we met on Twitter you know Brandon sends out a tweet and you know Chelsea in America retweets it and uh, two idiots decide they want to do a podcast every week with Brandon and uh, yeah they're right here um, so our process of elimination worked out really well for us but it's it's a 
truly a humbling uh, journey, and it's been quite wonderful to you know get to take something you love and talk about it every week and, and have people people interact with you on it. And uh, I think we really value the friendship that we create with the people who listen, uh, our fellow Chelsea supporters, and our friends at the the FanCast. I mean, it's probably more impressive since the first time we ever recorded, I didn't hit record, and uh, it was lost to the digital ether. So the fact that we're sitting here <laughs> is quite amazing. We, we were only a little upset. <laughs> I told you guys. No, no, no. I've been in Aussie. Uh, let's wrap this up and let's get on to the festivities. If you are listening later in the future, sorry you're not here. Change that next time. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep, Keep the, the blue, blue flag, flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, Make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.